Good morning. Our call to worship is from Psalm 50. If you'd stand, we will sing together. The heavens declare his righteousness, for God himself is just. The heavens declare his righteousness, for God himself is just. The mighty one. God the Lord speaks and summons the earth from the rising of the sun to its setting. Out of Zion, the perfection of beauty, God shines forth. Hear, O my people, and I will speak. O Israel, I will testify against you. I am God, your God. Not for your sacrifices do I rebuke you. Your burnt offerings are continually before me. I will not accept a bull from your house or goats from your folds. For every beast of the forest is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills. The heavens declare his righteousness, for God himself is just. The heavens declare his righteousness, for God himself. If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world in its fullness are mine. Do I eat the flesh of bulls or drink the blood of goats? Offer to God a sacrifice of thanksgiving, and perform your vows to the Most High, and call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you, and you shall glorify me.
Please join me in our prayer of invocation. Our Father in heaven, we are gathered here this morning because you have summoned us from our daily routines so we might enter your presence to hear the good news of our Lord Jesus once again. You have spoken your word at various times through your prophets, and now you have spoken this final word through your Son, Jesus the Christ. Our lives are busy with responsibilities, work, and cares that bring us joy and satisfaction, but also can bring us great worry and doubts about the future. You have blessed us in this life, providing us with families, communities, and the bounty of nature, but we also see our world plagued by brokenness, conflicts, and the destruction of your good gifts. We turn to you because you are not only a righteous judge who will heal the world, you are the God who saves, who will deliver us through your mercy and grace. Lord, we recognize our participation in the hurt and brokenness we see in the world, in our families, and in our own lives. We forget your statutes and let ourselves be swayed by the world's ways, promoting self and seeking our own glory. But Lord, this morning you remind us that the first step of repentance is to come to you in thanksgiving because of the work of Jesus Christ that he performed for our sake, taking on our frail human form and offering you the perfect obedience and service that we should have given. By his suffering and sacrifice, he brings us your peace to our unsettled and disordered lives. And by his wounds, we are healed of our brokenness. Lord, we come in humble thanks and pray that you send your Holy Spirit here among us so that through his power you might grant us new hearts and you might uphold within us renewed and willing minds and spirits. Father, we pray these things in the name of our Lord Jesus, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God. Amen. At this time, children are dismissed uh, for children's worship. So this is our time of 
corporate confession and personal confession. You know, God knows all about the masks we wear to protect ourselves. So let's confess our sin and need to him. We'll first confess corporately, and after our song, we'll have a time of silent confession. Jesus, you call it hypocrisy when we honor the Lord with our lips, but our hearts are far from you. We bring an offering in our hands while hating our brother or sister in our hearts. You call such worship meaningless. Lord, you are not like us. You see into the dark places. You know our hearts. Forgive us when we speak of you, but do not love you or love our neighbors. May we know again your beauty and glory. In your mercy, forgive us. Amen. Have mercy in your goodness, Lord. And in your grace, forgive my sin. Wash me from evil through and through. Cleanse me, O Lord, without within. All my transgressions, Lord, I see my sin both day and night. Against you only have I sinned. Done what is evil in your sight. So when you speak, Lord, it is just. Your judgments all Please take this time to silently confess your sin and need before God. Merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart and mind and strength. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. In your mercy, forgive us. Forgive what we have been. Help us amend what we are and direct what we shall be so that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your holy name. Amen. At this time, please rise to hear the words of assurance that God gives us that he forgives sins. Please join with me. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them has light shined. As Christ has welcomed us into God's family, please turn to one another and welcome each other in his name.
The Old Testament lesson today is taken from 2 Kings chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. And it came about, when the Lord was about to take up Elijah by a whirlwind to heaven, that Elijah went with Elisha from Gilgal. And Elijah said to Elisha, Stay here, please, for the Lord has sent me as far as Bethel. But Elisha said, As the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel. Then the sons of the prophets who were at Bethel came out to Elisha and said to him, Do you know that the Lord will take away your master from over you today? And he said, Yes, I know. Be still. And Elijah said to him, Elisha, please stay here, for the Lord has sent me to Jericho. Then he said, As the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So they came to Jericho. And the sons of the prophets who were at Jericho approached Elijah and said to him, Do you know that the Lord will take away your master from over you today? And he answered, Yes, I know. Be still. Then Elijah said to him, Please stay here, for the Lord has sent me to the Jordan. And he said, As the Lord lives, and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So the two of them went on. Now 50 men of the sons of the prophets went and stood opposite them at a distance, while the two of them stood by the Jordan. 
And Elijah took his mantle and folded it together and struck the waters. And they were divided here and there so that the two of them crossed over on dry ground. Now it came about when they had crossed over that Elijah said to Elisha, Ask what I shall do for you before I am taken from you. And Elisha said, Please let a double portion of your spirit be upon me. And he said, You have asked a hard thing. Nevertheless, if you see me when I am taken from you, it shall be so for you. But if not, it shall not be so. Then it came about as they were going along and talking, that behold, there appeared a chariot of fire and horses of fire, which separated the two of them. And Elijah went up by a whirlwind to heaven. And Elisha saw it and cried out, My father, my father, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen. And he saw him no more. Then he took hold of his own clothes and tore them in two pieces. And the New Testament lesson is 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 3 through 6. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, in whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving, that they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus as Lord, and ourselves as your bondservants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, light shall shine out of darkness, is the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. It's good to worship with you and a chance to look at God's word together. Thank you, Laura, for reading from the scriptures. Um, this is uh, the last Sunday of our uh, Epiphany sermon series. As I mentioned in the announcements, uh, this coming Wednesday is Ash Wednesday in the beginning of the season of Lent. Uh, but during Epiphany, we've been thinking about this idea that Epiphany means to, to make known, to, to manifest. And a chance for us to remember, as the, the, the whole church to remember, that God has made himself known in the person, in the life, in the ministry of Jesus. And so as we reflect on that truth, we've been looking at the gospel passages and asking again, who is this Jesus? What do we see and, and what do we hear? We've heard Jesus talk about his ministry and why he came, his, the nature of what he's come to do, his teaching to show who he is, and it's a chance for us to see again who is God and what God's kingdom is like. Well, the season of Epiphany, it, traditionally it closes with a reading of the Transfiguration. The Transfiguration is an, a unique manifestation of Jesus' divine glory. We'll see as we read that Jesus takes three of his disciples, Peter, James, and John, up on top of a high mountain. They follow Jesus and they become witnesses to his glory and his light. Maybe you've noticed in the scriptures that sometimes a passage is such that we can easily picture it, maybe easily grasp what's being set before us. But there are other passages that are hard to understand or stretch the ability of language to communicate and describe. And the transfiguration is one of these moments where language is being stretched to try to describe the glory of God. In this unique moment, we see and we're hearing the true nature, the true identity of Jesus. So let's look at our passage. This is from Mark chapter 9, the verse 1 through 9. You can follow in your order or in your Bible. And Jesus said to them, Truly, I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God after it has come with power. And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his clothes became radiant, intensely white, as no one on earth could bleach them. And there appeared to them Elijah and Moses, with Moses, 
and they were talking with Jesus. And Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. For he did not know what to say, for they were terrified. And a cloud overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud, This is my beloved son. Listen to him. And suddenly, looking around, they no longer saw anyone with them but Jesus only. And as they were coming down the mountain, he charged them to tell no one what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. This is God's word. It's given for our good. Lord, we ask that you'd be with us by your spirit. Lord, speak to us. Meet us where we are that we may know you and be drawn to you this day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, as we look at this unique event and make our way through the passage, I, I want to ask two questions. I want to ask, what do they see? What do these three uh, disciples see? And then second question, what do they hear? So what do they see and what do they hear? So let's start with this first question. What do they see? Well, as we just read, our passage starts with Jesus taking Peter, James, and John up a mountain. But before he does that, he, he says something. Our passage actually starts with Jesus speaking, a kind of a, a closing part of him speaking to a large group, a, a, a general crowd that also had his followers present. And, and what does he say? He says, some standing here will not taste death until the kingdom of God comes in power. Some of you will see God's kingdom come in power before you die. And this statement reminds us of what Jesus promised in the very beginning of his ministry. Some of you might recall when we first began the series, Jesus told Nathaniel and others, you will see heaven open. You will see heaven break into earth. When he was first calling those followers, Nathaniel, Andrew, and Peter, he, he announces that if you watch me, if you follow me and listen to me, you will see more than just you know, a remarkable thing or two, or you hear more than just some clever sayings. Rather, if you follow me, you will encounter God and God's glory. You will see what God and what heaven are like. Some of you will see God's kingdom come in power. And six days after this statement, Jesus does take Peter, James, and John on a journey up into a high mountain. And then Mark simply writes... Jesus was transfigured before them. Jesus was transfigured before them. Meaning that he was changed. That his appearance was changed right before their eyes. We ask, what, what do they see? How is this change described? And it says, Jesus was transfigured before them. His clothing became radiant, dazzling light. His garments became exceedingly bright, beyond any brightness of the earth or what we could imagine. Before their eyes, the appearance of Jesus is perceptibly altered. And what we are invited to try to imagine, or at least to get a glimpse of, is that for a brief moment, the, the veil of, of Jesus' humanity is lifted, and his, his human body presents itself in the very form of light. He appears with an intense radiance. Well, this transfiguration, this appearance, corresponds with, in the Old Testament, when God does show forth his glory, when he does show, reveal his kind of majesty, this glory is described or often appears as a shining light, a shining brilliance. We can think maybe of the Apostle John when writing later to the church in the letter of 1 John. He says, this is the message we have heard from the beginning and proclaimed to you, God is light. God is light and in God there is no darkness at all. We can pause for a moment. What, what does that mean? Like what, what comes to our mind? We can think about how light shines in the darkness, right? That Darkness cannot overcome it. It expels the darkness. It enables sight. It enables us to, to live and to move. That light also is transmitted that you can imagine that you know, one candle can light many, many candles, right? That light can spread. 
What does it mean that God is light? Well, John Calvin, when commenting on this passage, says that God is light, invites us to acknowledge that light is uncircumscribable. Uncircumscribable, that's an everyday word, right? Uncircumscribable, meaning it's, be, it's unbound. It does not have a, a, a kind of circumference. It's not confined. It's, there's no boundaries that one can draw. That light spreads forth. And therefore, it invites us to think of the, the nature of God in that way. I don't know what comes to mind when I thought about light in this, this manner. I actually thought about space. I'm not sure why, but maybe because I saw recently a story about NASA and their space probe Juno, that it is orbiting the planet Jupiter and sending back images of the planet Jupiter. Maybe if you've seen them. If you haven't, you should look up there. It's, it's amazing, really. When I looked at this, Jupiter is approximately 480 million miles from Earth. 480 million miles from Earth. And to help us get a sense of how light is kind of beyond maybe what we often think about or its unbound nature, we can ask how long does it take light to go from Earth to Jupiter? How long does it take light to go almost 500 million miles? It takes 42 minutes. How is that possible, right? That seems like I'm not, I should probably not, there's some scientists out here, so you guys can talk to me later if I'm getting this wrong, but. Okay, it's mind-boggling, right? And I invite us to think about that concept and even think about when we say God is light. It dispels the darkness, but there is a nature to it that stretches how God is outside of our control, unbound. Light has no boundary. But it's not just that light speaks of God in this way, but it also reminds us that the Lord possesses this kind of uncreated heavenly light. In Genesis 1, we're told that God said, let there be light, and light came forth. That he, as the creator, gave the gift of light to his creation. It is connected to life. But God's glory, this light of his being, is different. God has being in himself. He doesn't need it to be added to or is not dependent on any way. His, his very being is uncreated. And therefore, this light that shines forth is a similar a light that is beyond what we can even comprehend and now what our passage is saying is that the transfiguration, this radiance of God's being, this uncreated light that goes forth, that is without bound, is shining now in Jesus, is shining forth in Christ. See, it's inviting us to try again to, to comprehend that the word, the word by which light was made, that word took on flesh and dwelt among us. And when there was a moment in which some humans could see kind of the true nature of Jesus, that word shines forth with a brightness that's beyond description. The transfiguration was a momentary but real manifestation of Jesus' divine glory. Again, to invite us in to see the depths of who he is as he reveals God to us. One distinct aspect of, of much of church architecture uh, through history is having high ceilings. Maybe you've been in some, especially some of the older cathedrals, the high ceiling. And uh, such ceilings are created in this way because they would direct us to look up, to lift our heads, have a sense of vastness. And there's an article that I came across called The Mysterious Neuroscience of Buildings. And it says that the physical act of looking up aids our brains in processing the view. The opposite being in a narrow space, in a tunnel or a cave, it communicates to our brains of kind of looking down, the sense of being oppressed or restricted, of kind of pulling within. But lifting your field of vision, lifting your eyes up brings a sense of space and of awe, of, of vastness and contemplation. Now, Waters Gym, if you, if you haven't noticed, is not a traditional sanctuary. <laughs> but we can be thankful that there's a lot of light, speaking of light, and the ceilings are higher than normal, inviting us maybe even to think about a vastness. 
But I want us to think about this idea of high ceilings of this architectural feature, not just as a building, but maybe as an image of how we even understand kind of ourselves or the story that we're a part of, of the, the, the view of the world that we hold. Like, who are we and, and, and why are we here? What is kind of the height? What is the, the height that we have of the, the story that we're a part of, right? We can think about the framework that we're in, and some frameworks are very low. They have a low ceiling, that we're here simply for ourselves. We're here to kind of just survive or to be productive or to accumulate. Such views, such framework, if that's what, how we answer who we are, they are small and, and bring us low and tight to see ourselves and others in a very limited way. What I want to suggest is that the transfiguration is this invitation to worship and think about how God is different from us. It's like a high ceiling, a, a vastness that invites us to lift our heads and to ask, who am I and why am I here? I'm, I'm made by God, made in God's image to know God, to worship God, to glorify God, to enjoy God, to be part of the creation that he has made. This is a vast view that connects me to the creator of all things and invites me to share that joy with my neighbors. It gives me a purpose that is vast and beyond. The transfiguration invites you and I, our, our primary response to this passage, we say, what, is the, what are we supposed to do with this? We are to worship Christ and be reminded of who we are, that we are part of something much larger than ourselves, but yet something very personal with God. When we gather today, or other times when we gather as God's people to respond in worship, I want to suggest to you that it is a place where heaven and earth are overlapping. It is an offering that is the same today, and it will be the same when heaven comes and the earth is remade, that we will join with the angels and the company of the heavenly host, all those who have gone before us, will gather together as those who sing and respond to God, who is light. And so therefore, when we worship God, when we are invited to this glory and to this high ceiling of looking up, it can be an act of clarifying. Clarifying the question of who am I and why am I here? In the, play, in the face of other liturgies and other ceilings, other frameworks, it's clarifying to remember that God has made me and invited me to enjoy him. I am made to worship the creator of heaven and earth. I'm made to worship Jesus, the one who was drawn near, that I may know God and be known by him. The disciples see Jesus in his radiance. But we can also ask the second question, what do they hear? What do they hear? Going back to our passage, Jesus expressing an intense radiance is joined by Moses and Elijah. And then there is a cloud that overshadows them, and a voice comes out of the cloud. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. In the beginning of the Gospels, the beginning of, of Mark and the others, Jesus is baptized. And at the baptism of Jesus, God also speaks in a very public way, announcing, saying, you are my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. God speaks again here at this transfiguration, at this moment, to affirm and vindicate Jesus. This is my son. Trust him. Listen to him. He will lead you in the way that is life. It's God's voice, but Moses and Elijah are present as witnesses. It makes sense that they would be there because those two, Moses and Elijah, are kind of the preeminent prophets of Israel. And they stand by Jesus' side to testify to his character and to his mission, saying that this is the one that we were longing for. This is the one that we were pointing towards. That all the law and all the prophets were pointing to this one. And now these two give witness to Jesus as he shows the manifestation of God's glory. And when the clouds lift after God speaks of his affirmation, Moses and Elijah have vanished and Jesus alone remains. And it reminds us in that moment, Jesus is the one that we worship. 
the one that has revealed God fully. Moses and Elijah, the, the law and the prophets gave witness, but Jesus alone is the full manifestation of God, the Son who reveals the Father. Jesus himself is the tabernacle, the, the dwelling presence of God in this earth. And what I want us to, to think about as we, as we move towards a close is that why the transfiguration invites us to kind of this clarifying worship that we were made to know and worship God. The transfiguration also gives us encouragement for the journey of faith. Our passage, as I mentioned in the beginning, offers kind of a timeline, six days after six days. This is one of the ways Mark kind of marks one passage and how it connects to another. He's saying that this event of the transfiguration is linked to what became before, and what became before in Mark 8 was Jesus doing a teaching. All his disciples were near him, and Jesus asked them, who, who do people say that I am? And they gave some variety of answers. And then he turns to them and says, who do you, who do you say that I am? And Peter, on behalf of the group, confesses that you are the Christ. You're the anointed one from God. You're the one that's come from God to rescue God's people. You are the one that we are to trust and to follow. In response to this confession of faith, Jesus then takes a moment to teach and says that he, he must suffer many things. He must be rejected and must be killed. And then after three days, rise again. And he continues, and he says to the groups that were, had just confessed who he was, he says, if you would come after me, you must deny yourself and take up your cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. That it's possible to gain the whole world, but lose your very self. Jesus says that his path will be marked with rejection and suffering and death. He tells his followers that to follow him is a path of denial and humility, of laying down your life, letting go of certain things. And so as we hear this path that Jesus walks and that we follow him on, we need encouragement. We need encouragement. If you're like me, there's many voices, right, that can come up to us and ask, is this, the, is this really the path of life, to be marked by denial and laying down your life? Is that really what leads to life? Or how can it be that this one who's rejected and crushed by the powers of his day is really the one to follow? How can this outsider who had no formal title, was not part of the educated elite, be the one to listen to? Is his path really the one that leads to life? And I imagine that all of us at different times, whether our circumstances or the voices from outside or within, raise such questions to us. And the transfiguration is an encouragement. This is the glory of God. Listen to him. Peter, who was there when writing to churches later as an apostle, he was writing to churches who were experienced persecution and had been scattered who are struggling, he brings up the transfiguration as a form of encouragement to them to keep walking, to stay in the faith, to hold on to what is true. He says, we did not follow cleverly devised myths. We didn't make up stories when we told you about the power and the glory of our Lord Jesus. Peter writes, we were eyewitnesses of Jesus' radiant light he received honor and glory from God, and God himself said, this is my beloved son. We were there on the holy mountain with him. We heard the voice of heaven with our very ears, Peter says. He's inviting you and me when we wonder, maybe life is actually found in how much I can accumulate. When we wonder, maybe life is found in revenge, not forgiveness, or when it's found in holding on or clinging on to myself instead of giving. When we wonder that, Peter invites us to remember the glory of God revealed in Jesus. The one who in love draws near to us and even is rejected, suffers and dies. 
to love us and to make us his own. Listen to him. This is my beloved son. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. We do thank you for the wonder and the glory of Christ. And we pray, Lord, that you would move us to worship and to find our sense of who we are and, and the path of life in you, Lord. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I invite you to stand and we'll join in singing.
Almighty God of light and truth, you are beyond our understanding. Before the brightness of your presence, even the angels veil their faces. Yet you have come near to us to dwell with us in Jesus Christ, our Savior. Therefore, we join through people on earth and all the company of heaven in the unending hymn. Having heard God's word, we're now invited to come to the table that God sets for his people. And as we do each Sunday, we take a moment to remind ourselves of this gift. In our passage, we saw the, the glory of, of Christ revealed in this unique way. But it's good to be uh, reminded or to remember that when Jesus was asked or when he described the moment where his glory was most seen, it was on the cross. He said, that is when his glory will be on display. This table, the, the bread that's broken and the cup where that's poured wine is poured out reminds us of the cross. The, the glory of our God in which he descends, he condescends coming down to us, meeting us in the place of sin and shame and guilt and death to lift us to new life that we may be not those who are far off, but those who are near and called children of God. That is the glory of God. So we're invited to come and to worship and to give thanks. And if, if we have acknowledged our sin before God and placed our faith in Christ, to come and eat and drink, to be reminded of who our God is. In his glory, he has come to those in need, to lift them up, to bind up the brokenhearted, to call us his sons and daughters in Christ. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this table, these things that we can see and hold and taste that tell us again of who you are and of your glory. Thank you that you are a God that is holy and good and just, but not one to just far off, but one who draws near to the brokenhearted, to those who have fallen, to the unrighteous and the sinner. Lord, you've come, and in Christ, you make the unrighteous righteous. The one who has a bowed head in shame, you lift up our heads, telling us of your welcome and of your grace. Lord, we pray that today, that as we receive these elements, that you would minister to us, that you would minister to us your grace. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, on the night that he was betrayed, after giving thanks, Jesus took the bread and broke it, saying, this is my body, given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, Jesus took the cup, saying, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. Whenever you drink it, do so in remembrance of me. For whenever we eat this bread and drink this cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. Those who are taking communion, I invite you to come down the center aisle and receive the bread and the cup, and you can go back on the sides. Uh, if you're able to hold the elements, I ask that you do that, that you hold them to everyone that's been served, that we can eat and drink together as one family. If you are not taking communion today, I still invite you to come forward down the center aisle. Just put your arm across your chest, and Pastor Brian or I can offer a prayer of blessing for you here at the table. Those who are serving can come forward at this time.
Christ's body was broken to make us whole. Let us eat in faith. And Christ's blood was shed to cover all of our sins. Let us drink in faith. I invite you to stand with me that we may respond to God's table with, with prayer and song and confession. We praise you, almighty God, because although you are abundant in power, you heal the brokenhearted and take pleasure in those who hope in your steadfast love. Help us to wait patiently for Christ's return and to rejoice as we worship you. Christ Christ is risen, Christ will come again. Christ has Christ is risen, Christ will come again. Let us declare our faith in the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. He was buried, he was raised to life on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. Afterwards, he appeared to his followers and to all the apostles. This we have received and this we believe. Amen. You may be seated. Well, we're going to continue our time of worship through uh, offering, a chance for us to respond to God's generosity with our own gifts. So I invite the greeters to come forward. Uh, they'll have a gray basket you can put your communion cup in, and then a, a silver offering plate if you'd like to give a gift. If you'd like to give offering, you can also do it through the church website or by text. You'll see information in your order of worship or on the church website. Uh, I want to say welcome again. It's good to be here and worshiping God together. We're thankful that God's called us and gathered us to come, uh, not just as an individual, but as a group. And so thankful to be together um, there is a black information uh, pad under the uh, chair in the center aisle. So if you're sitting in the center aisle, I invite you to reach down and pick that up, and you can fill it out and pass it down to know who you're worshiping with. And uh, if you are uh, just started coming or uh, new to the church, we're really glad that you're here and encourage you to fill it out and have a chance to, for Pastor Aunt Brian and I to share some more information with you about the church. Also, just an invitation to stay after. There's coffee and bagels in the hallway right behind me. Hope you can stay after for a chance to, to enjoy some coffee and bagels and a chance to get to know each other better or just catch up with each other. So um, hope you can say after. Uh, just a reminder that this coming Wednesday the 14th is Ash Wednesday. And so all of you are invited to come to the service here at Waters at 7 o'clock. Let's continue uh, worshiping God through the giving of our gifts. rise for the singing of the doxology. Praise God from whom all blessings
God's blessing. As the mountains surround Jerusalem, may the love of God surround you now and always. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. May go in peace.